This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. We had so much fun chatting with Jacob Taylor for our Invested Book Club last week. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it. And if you missed buying his book in time, go and buy it. It's called The Rebel Allocator. I cannot tell you how many messages I've gotten from you guys uh, who bought the book, who listened to the episode saying how helpful this was to your investing practice. I'm so glad because we love recommending good stuff for our invested book club. We've only ever had two books on it. And this one, The Rebel Allocator, is a real classic. So go and pick it up if you haven't already read it. This week, we wrapped up our Finding Buffett or Finding Buffet treasure hunt, and we did our Ask Us Anything call for everybody who bought the misprinted book and entered our giveaway. They also got three months free to my investing practice newsletter, and they get special seating at my dad's uh, weekend investing workshops. So this is obviously a special giveaway for everybody who went ahead and bought those books and entered, but... We had two questions that were so good and we enjoyed chatting about so much that we decided to play them here on our podcast. And then we're going to talk about them more next week. So enjoy, listen, and we'll be back next week with uh, additional detail and great amounts of thoughts around these particular questions. Enjoy. This is from Ben Frick. Hi, Ben. Ben is actually a hedge fund manager and is... um, a student from, gosh, must have been four or five years ago. He says, uh, Ben has a daughter. He says, in your podcast, it's become clear to me that you try to teach Danielle when she was younger to get her involved with investing. I have a daughter myself that just turned 13. Mm -hmm. I've tried over the past couple of years to get her engaged with investing and had no luck. She loves to read. And I asked her to read your book along with some other investing books and she wants nothing to do with books that have to do with learning. <laughs> this oh, is learning. That's a broad category of books to avoid. <laughs> it is. For her, reading is escape. For mm-hmm. her, reading is an escape. And I certainly don't want to take that away and because she lives with me and she needs to escape. I just added that last part. Danielle, <laughs> could your father have done anything differently when you were younger to get you to take on investing. So some form or another, this question has come up over yes. and over again for you guys. So there you go, honey. Have at it. I'd be very curious to know what this answer is. It's such a good first question. And you're right. We got tons of questions with that exact theme. Um, so yes, I think there are, in hindsight, there are many things that could have been done differently to get me more interested in investing. Um, Number one, I totally relate to Ben's daughter because reading for me was a huge escape. And I would read for hours and hours and hours stuff that everybody else thought was really weird and just to like be entertained. So I totally understand where she's coming from. I did write that book 
invested specifically to write a book that was really fun about investing and interesting and like and like not boring about investing. So maybe at some point she would be interested. But I was just speaking on Friday, as you guys know, because you're all the people who bought the Finding Buffett, Finding Buffet book. Um, we've set up a donation to Girls Inc., which is a charity uh, around the U.S. and has a chapter in Omaha. And, uh, and so we've set up with the Omaha chapter and the New York City chapter, and I'm working on other chapters to donate um, these books. And to support the book, we've been talking about programming to help teach teenage girls about finance and investing and really make it accessible to them. So I was just really working on this on Friday. And I think for me, so I've been thinking a lot about like what would what would have changed for me. Um, and I think for me, just having it be connected to my real life would have been really amazing. I mean, to me, until I was 35 and started this whole thing, I did not connect to the stock market as being accessible to me or, or in any way related to my life that was the, it just seemed completely like this gray fog that I had no clue about. And that was filled with scary people and scary decisions and scary moves. And I would never understand it. And it had nothing to do with me except to create recessions that made it so that it was hard for me to get a job. And that's not something you want to engage with. So what I would do differently is if, if, if somebody had like connected the idea of public companies, of big companies, companies that you could actually invest in, to my real life, a lot the way you do now, dad, with, with all the, all of your students, like saying like, what are you interested in? Okay, you're interested in, you have an Apple iPhone. Well, that's a company. Somebody makes that iPhone. Like, let's go find out about these people who make the iPhone, who make other Apple products, find out what they're doing. Okay, what's your opinion about the iPhone? Has it gotten better over time or has it gotten worse over time? Oh, you think it's gotten worse over time? Okay, you have an opinion about a huge public company that seemed really far away, but now is actually sitting in your hand and it's something you use every day. Now we can go, now when I was a kid, we didn't have such accessible accessibility to the internet. So it's a huge difference now, which is awesome. But you can go online and start to learn about the company Apple and see what other people think about Apple and about the iPhone's future. And as simple as that, suddenly we've connected something that you use every day that every kid wants to use to this, this like market, this big amorphous thing. And I think that if we had talked more about that stuff and, and really, I think if we had never talked about numbers and had it been more about people and products and services and like, who are these people making things and what are they doing? And, and you can actually become an owner of that company really easily. I think that would have sparked it a lot more for me. I think that's really good. Cause I remember trying to teach you numbers all the time and all the time. Yeah, I mean, numbers are kind of alive for me, but they were not in your in your uh, wheelhouse. And I love this idea. And I, well, I wanted to ask you myself if if I had um, helped you 
Would you have been interested in kind of starting your own business at all? I did. But I mean, I started, 13. I started a beauty shop in my bedroom. Oh, yeah. My sister was the only client. Yeah. And she paid us top dollar for beauty services. <laughs> Fantastic. Huge moat. <laughs> Huge moat. And I had lemonade stands. And then, and then everything kind of disintegrated in our lives. And that's when that all stopped, you know? That's true. Right about then, that's when we yeah. got divorced, and that's when it kind of all screeched to a halt. Yeah. I became the Disneyland dad, I think, as you put it, which was nowhere near my intention. And, and um, But what I should have done is maybe I should have helped you figure out a real actual business business, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if starting a business necessarily relates exactly to like realizing that you could be an investor. I think those are they're related, but they're different. And starting Maybe. a business is very hard. Okay, and skip the starting a business thing. Let's say um, instead, what I maybe could have done, like one mom did, is she taught her daughter how to make money at garage sales. Right like finding things that are super cheap that she knows about and then flipping them, selling them in the newspaper. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, been, that's I think something we, you would probably enjoy when you were a kid. Maybe you wouldn't have enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't want to beat this to death, and I, I know we have a lot more questions, so let's move on. But just to, to wrap up, Ben, I don't have a, a great answer, but I think a great answer is needed. And Maybe if you prevail on Danielle, she'll write the book that gives us the answer. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. And we're going to, I mean, I'm working on this. So for these these girls that are involved in Girls Inc., we're going to put together some programming for it, some education. So, Okay, your turn. Okay, um, wait, I just, I'm actually going to go back to question number one, because Michelle made a really good comment, which is that it goes to the idea of how our family values pass down and do your children take up the parents' values around money or not. And I thought that was a great point. I have noticed a lot of people, friends of mine, who are not particularly interested in money stuff or the markets, but their parents uh, created an investing account for them when they were kids, or like their grandparents made a college account for them and it was, you know, in stocks or whatever. And so they just naturally knew about it from the time they were kids and were engaged in it because they were the name on the account. They owned the account. And that, I mean, I've seen with friends who had that, they're just automatically like, that's a part of your life. And friends who didn't have that, it's not a part of your life. Oh, um, man, that's a good idea. Yeah. And even just account. a small amount of money. Like my best friend just texted me yesterday and she said, I just got an unexpected tax refund and she just had a baby. And she said, I want to open an account for my baby. What oh. should I buy? And so we're like debating what you would buy for somebody who's six months old and is going to hold for the next 25 years, let's say, like in a very real way. And so I just thought that was such a beautiful idea to do for her son. Um, Michelle's entire Disney stock. <laughs> <laughs> I also think talking about it at home and like being engaged yourself is really cool. Like I've also noticed 
my husband is like utterly uninterested in investing in the markets. And I mean, he's interested in like me doing it, but he's not interested in doing it himself at all. But in the last, I mean, he's been through though, he's been through my entire process. He's been through me writing a book about it. He's been through like, now I like am super into it. He's been through the whole thing with me as a bystander. And just now, like years in, he has started to say things like, oh, well, that's an interesting company. And I'm like, whoa, that is a huge change. That is, that shows interest. Amazing. And then we talk about it and, you know, maybe next year he'll get even more interested. So I think it's just, it's a slow growth. I have to interject here that her husband is just not just some guy. He is an expert consultant to banking companies. So he's in the financial world. He's got an MBA from one of the top universities in the, in the world. Uh, I mean, he's really deep in, in our world. And, um, and it is, I mean, it is just kind of to the point that even if you are all, all the way into this world, or maybe even because you are all the way into this world, you just don't want anything to do with it until you start to see some way to connect that process to your real life. To your real life. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like he loves cars. So I was talking to him about Fiat Chrysler versus General Motors, and that was something really interesting to him. So we had a good conversation. Like, it's just little stuff like that, where it's like, oh, that's, you have an opinion about those companies, and people get excited. Oh, very cool. Okay, so let's move on. Um, We got a bunch of questions. I thought this was an awesome question, because I've had the exact same one when I first started this whole thing, and actually I'm interested in the answer. So the question is, when you say you're in cash, what the heck does that mean? Does that mean that your your money is in your brokerage account and it's just sitting there in your brokerage account? Does it mean you're in a money market account? Does it mean you're you own T-bills? Like what does in cash not buying stocks really mean in real life? Yeah. Well, when I say I'm in cash, I mean I'm in cash money sitting in my brokerage account, earning the percentage that the brokerage account pays me. In this case, I'm with interactive brokers, and I think they pay roughly 2.9% on on cash that's just sitting there. And so that only has recently happened. They didn't used to pay anything at all, but yeah, I still had cash just sitting there, right? Yeah. And, and that was because nobody paid anything at all for short-term short-term cash in uh, lending. So for example, Wells Fargo Bank in, uh, is where we have uh, one of the accounts. And let's say we had, a, I think at that time we had a million dollars sitting in Wells Fargo. And uh, I called them up and said, what can what can you guys pay me? And I have a million dollars sitting there that I didn't have any place to invest it that I was happy with. And they said, oh, well, we'll pay you. Uh, I think they were talking about point one oh percent it was like on a million dollars you're going to pay me like a thousand dollars for the year and it was so small and i and i had to lock the money up actually for three months in order to get it which means i was locking up a million dollars to get 333 dollars and it just made no sense. I wasn't going to lock the money up if I had an opportunity. I wanted to jump on it, so I needed the cash available. But today, interest rates are moving up, and Interactive Brokers has done something to create a really terrific return in, relative to uh, having full liquidity. I've got I've got access to the dollar, so 
I use them and uh, sitting in cash means literally I have full access on an instant notice to put all that money to work. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's what I mean by being in cash. It's, it's really cash. Okay. I mean, that's what I have too, but I just out of pure laziness. <laughs> so well, is it, is it a good idea to even think about things like a three month T-bill or a sure. you know, if you can know, other, other options that give you a little bit of a return, but maybe does lock your money up a little bit? I don't mind locking. I don't mind locking up some money for a little bit, right? For ninety days or something like that. But I'm, I don't love the idea enough to actually do it at these interest rates. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Um, when IB is paying me a reasonably good amount of money anyway, um, I don't want to lock up. And the reason is, is because we we find this about our investing strategy, and that is that we sit in cash for stupidly long periods of time, really long. And um, and when it's time to make a move into the market, we get very aggressive and we move quite a lot quite quickly. The reason we don't use short-term ETFs is because I don't want the fluctuations with the cash. In other words, I'm not using a bond exchange-traded fund or a stock exchange-traded fund even on a short-term basis because they can fluctuate substantially on a short-term basis. If I want to do something short-term, I'll put it in a bond that's going to expire so that there's no chance that some big change in interest rates would result in me having a substantial downturn on my on my bond investment. So exactly right. Uh, that's uh, Wayne was asking that. And then Michelle is saying that putting money in bonds is scary because of a downturn. Uh, man, there's no way I would put money into any kind of a long bond in, in this market. Uh, for me, that would be a really bad idea. Um, and the main reason being that I don't know what direction bond interest rates are going to go. I just have no idea. The Federal Reserve wants to raise them, which would destroy the return of my long bond investment. And um, if they lower them, I'm going to look like a genius. But I just don't. I just don't want to. I just don't want to be locked in. I, I want the opportunity to buy another Chipotle grill at another stupidly great price. That's what I'm waiting for. And it isn't worth having a little bit of a return and work the money like I'm some sort of bean counter working for Bank of America um, to give up the shot at a 30% per year return or a 40% per year return, that would be dumb. So I don't do that. Yeah, I don't know, maybe not for everybody, but man alive, the stock market loves her, loves the company. Okay, now that brings up another question, which is something mm -hmm. I've been pondering. I feel like I have to love a company personally for me to get excited and want to buy it and want to be an owner. But many people, probably most people, do not feel like that and think it's totally stupid and would be looking at Ulta and going like, well, all the numbers add up and it's great and it's got Kylie Cosmetics and boom, let's go for it. I don't care if I like Sephora better personally. What do you no, think I, about that? Because I struggle with it. I, I like to, I, I want to love the companies I own. I want to feel too. so proud of them. I, I want my own personal portfolio of companies as if I'm Warren Buffett himself and I own 70 companies. I can tell Me you, too. For, for real, Warren loves his companies. Yeah. He does. All those private And so what that means is that I miss out on things sometimes because I can see that it's probably going to go up 
in price and it's probably a well-run company, but because I don't feel anything for it, I don't go for it. And so I miss out on something that in my brain is actually a good investment. Well, I would suggest this, that you, you take the time. You've obviously, in other words, you can't know that it's obviously a good investment unless you've really taken the time to get to know the company. And what happens usually is we don't take the time to get the company because we don't really like it that well. Yeah, yeah. So I would suggest that probably you don't really know the company well enough to make a final, final decision um, just because you haven't been interested enough to put in the time, which is why I really strongly urge you to put it, to, to go for companies you do love because the ultimately the amount of time you put into this before you buy it is pretty significant and you want to do that on companies you like. Um, but... If you look at a company, you say, wow, this does look really good. I'm not into their stuff. Like, uh, I'm not into Ruger guns because I'm not into guns, let's say. You might say that, right? And um, Or someone else might. Am I but, into Ruger guns? Uh, no, I don't even know what those are. Right. Well, those are guns. And if you don't have any connection to guns, then why dig in in the first place, even though it's all green? Even right. making a huge pile of money. Well, and the reason right. is that you could make a huge pile of money. That's the reason. Right. <laughs> but in order to make it a huge pile of money, you have to do the homework. Yeah. And in order to do the homework, you're going to have to love the company. You're going to have to get into what they do or you're never going to finish your homework. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're exactly right. So I went into an old, you told me about it and I was like, okay, I've never been in one. I went into one. Um, like a rural, like not city one. And then it, and I didn't really like it. And then I was in New York and I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it another chance. And I went into one on the Upper East Side and I also didn't really like, like it. Like, and I don't want to get into like bashing Ulta, but there were reasons. And, and I just don't really have any desire. I mean, it's not, I'm not against it. Like I'll go there if there's something I want, but I don't have the desire to really like dig in to that company and spend a lot of time in it. You're exactly right. Whereas on that same trip to New York, I landed and I was like, where is the nearest Chipotle? I must go immediately. <laughs> and I went, I like literally looked on Google Maps for the closest one and I went to it and I was so happy. And then I went back again the next night and then I was supposed to have dinner with a friend and they said, where do you want to have dinner? And I was like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I want to go to Chipotle. <laughs> and, and they wouldn't let me because they didn't want to go to Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> And that makes me happy. Like that makes me feel like, yeah, I am connected to this company in a very real way. I have to go check up on it. It's not, there are some in Europe, but not many. And so when I'm in the US, I have to like go check on my company. And it's just a really nice, it makes me excited That's, about I'm investing. you say that, honey, because these are our companies. If we own one share of these, that's your company. You own one share, it's your company. Treat it like an owner. That's just a fundamental lesson. That would be one of the first things I would ever teach anybody is you buy a share, you're an owner. So treat it like that from the beginning. Think about it as if you're the owner of this business. And if you're the owner, then there's certain things you need to know about your business and certain things you're going to want to keep track of. What are those things? And then you do that. You, you figure those things out. And then that's what you keep track of over time as an owner. And it's so much more fun to own a company you love and you love what they do. And it's so exciting yeah. to visit them than some company you don't want to go visit. 
Yeah, and I felt that way about Whole Foods, but the problem is that it doesn't happen that often. Like, I think Boeing is really interesting. Do I love Boeing? I don't know. Not, not necessarily. I love Boeing. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.